This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and I'm the Daniel and the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights, and it's an honor to be here today with you. So much to cover, so much to say. Your time's precious, and I appreciate it. So let's jump right in. Where to start, where to start today? Well, here's a good place to start. I want to thank you for your tremendous response to my most recent article published on the America Out Loud Network. The article is entitled, Democrats Want to Destroy Democracy. In this article, I outline that to save democracy, Democrats want to destroy it. Yes, they do. They want to destroy it to save it. And perhaps this will save democracy, but not for the American people. Democrats want to put democracy on the shelf for some other nation to try. They want to destroy democracy so they can build back better. They want more control of all of us. They want our centralized government to be just that. More power in the hands of fewer people. Who needs states' rights anyway? States just get in the way when it comes to racial and social justice, to abortion and voting rights, and individual states can't be expected to crush the white supremacy and white privilege that's plagued America, well, since its beginning. States are too slow to get the message and to change. Well, in my article, I ask, what have Democrats built back better during their first seven months while in control of the House, the Senate, and the White House? I articulate eight areas of concern with timely information about immigration, inflation, race relations, education, voting laws, law and order, travel, and, of course, COVID-19, that show Democrats are building back, but they're building back bitter and very un-American, especially on the issue of immigration. In some strange way, Democrats were in a celebratory mood yesterday, as new census data shows that, for the first time in our history, the percent of white people in America dropped below 60% to 57%. No, I'm not joking. CNN and MSNBC were calling out the number with delight. Sick, I know. My nerves. Well, we have a lot to get, though, so thank you for the wonderful feedback on the article, and I encourage everyone to take a quick look at Democrats Want to Destroy Democracy. It's bound to give you something to say to those liberals you encounter on occasion. Once again, you can find it at America Out Loud or under my name, Daniel Francis Baranowski, on the same network, or under the show's title, The Frankly Daniel Show, on the America Out Loud network. Before we get to my topic of the day, which is the corruption of public education by rogue, woke school boards, I'd like to take a quick look at a couple of Joe Biden's comments this week. Now, because I live in Florida, and because the Biden White House has a special animus for our governor, Ron DeSantis, I'd like to share a few choice audio clips of the governor in response to Joe Biden's continued criticism of life in Florida under Republican leadership. You may have heard this week that the CDC, Joe's highly political CDC, reported that Florida recorded a total of 28,317 new cases of COVID-19. 
on Sunday, August 8th. <laughs> Wrong. The actual number was around 15,000, nearly half as many as the CDC posted. Of course, the Florida Department of Health contacted the CDC and told them they had rolled three days of data into one and that the 28,317 was nowhere near the actual daily numbers. Now, you'd think that if the CDC was honestly following the daily numbers of a state like Florida, that someone would have looked at the out-of-character size of this number and picked up the phone and called somebody to confirm the number. But no, this didn't happen. Apparently, they were happy to post it because it supports Joe Biden's claim that Ron DeSantis isn't taking the Delta variant of COVID-19 seriously. Not true. In fact, Governor DeSantis was at St. Petersburg Lakewood Elementary School in St. Petersburg the other day, touting his education department's success in supporting the Pinellas County Lakewood Elementary School for its achievement in improving its grade from an F rating to an A- rating in one testing cycle. Now, the governor said, in fact, the school hadn't scored above a D since 2013. DeSantis said this type of turnaround is very rare, but he said it's a testament to the hard work of everybody involved and most certainly parents. While here in St. Petersburg, home to the internationally renowned Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital, he acknowledged that parents need to be alert to the rise in RSV, respiratory sentinel virus, and not to confuse this respiratory disease with COVID-19 in children. Now, here's a clip of Governor DeSantis on the Tucker Carlson show the other day talking about the Biden's White House obsession with Ron DeSantis and all things Florida. Uh, the White House, uh, they're more concerned about uh, trying to attack me than actually dealing with the problems of the country. I don't see them dealing with the border crisis. I don't see them dealing with inflation. Obviously, energy prices are out of control, uh, but yet they have this obsession with Florida. And um, look, obviously, we're cutting against the grain. We're standing up to federal overreach, and we're proud of doing that. Uh, but they should really focus on getting the job done that they were elected to do, and they're not doing that right now. The new southern border number for July's alien apprehensions was just posted. In July, the Border Patrol processed 212,670 aliens crossing into America. And if you can believe this, the DHS secretary said they turned away an additional 45% of aliens presenting to Border Patrol. Now, if true, this would mean that had they not turned away an additional 45%, the numbers would have reached 473,000. Now, does this sound like they're getting the message? Don't try to uh, cross the border. Don't come now. Don't come. Boy, I, <laughs> they needed a whole new message. And this doesn't even count the gotaways or those aliens the Border Patrol's knows are crossing into the country, but they don't have the capacity to arrest them. Here's Governor DeSantis commenting on COVID-19 infected aliens crossing into America and being shipped by DHS agents all over the country. And this is a president that ran saying he was going to shut down the virus. Well, how do you shut it down when you're bringing people, hundreds of thousands of people, but they're from over a hundred different countries. So whatever variants are out there are coming through that border. They're knowingly letting them in and then they're farming them out all over the United States. Clearly, uh, they have a different agenda at play. As a professional public health clinical practitioner and teacher, 
I can't begin to tell you how disgusted I am with today's state of public health communication. Did you know that on average there are 400 Border Patrol agents homesick with COVID-19 each day of the week? All this sick time and risk to agents comes from their contact with infected aliens crossing the border every day. Here's the third and final audio clip of Governor DeSantis expressing his concern with the fear-driven public health communications and mandates. They are basically saying that we are all just subservient to uh, medical authoritarianism. Whatever they think needs to be done, we have to submit to it. Uh, That is, it's probably uh, the most significant threat to freedom um, in my lifetime, certainly since the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, because taken to this illogical conclusion, you end up with Australia, where they're forcing lockdowns uh, at the point of bayonet. Uh, So this is, they've come a long way in their ideology. What a doom and gloom crowd the Democrats are. Nothing is okay in or about America from their viewpoint. Everything needs to be changed, and it needs to be changed now. And the changes they want mean everything needs to be ripped up and torn up and that the old ways are all the wrong ways. And after tearing down our institutions in order to build back better, we need to throw money, lots of money, at all things that promote Marxism or outright socialism agendas. Money means power, and the more power we give government, the bigger government becomes until that's all there is, nothing but big government. And as the centralized government grows, the rights of states to determine with its own citizens what's best for them gets crushed and relegated to unimportant. Anything that gets in the way of the Democrats' march to build back better and build in their own image, well, with propaganda power of the media and the cancel culture, they just roll over any dissent. Yes, the Biden Justice Department will sue your state for attempting to institute voter integrity laws like in Georgia. Or they'll show up at your doorstep to ask if you've been vaccinated or do you have a firearm in the house. They want you to forfeit your guns, you know. They want to vaccinate you and relieve you of your firearms. After all, you could be a killer. You could infect someone with COVID-19 and if they should die, you could be a murderer. In fact, if your adolescents aren't vaccinated or your young children aren't masked for their school day, they too could become murderers. Heck yeah, you could have a child go to school maskless and murder someone else's children by spreading COVID-19. And here's an audio clip of a Norman, Oklahoma school board member making this very point at an open school board meeting. You have likely heard the 12-second clip of this member spouting off. Here's the longer 45-second clip of what she had to say. Fi Governor Stitt, and that's not how I like to pronounce his name, by the way. Um, I think if anybody's going to flee to virtual school, it needs to be the maskless. I don't think any parent with, a, with an asthmatic 6-year-old, 8-year-old, or 12-year-old should have to make that choice that their child can't go to school because some other kid is going to spread a germ that could kill them. Just goes all over me. I would like to find a way to stand up as a district and get our surrounding superintendents to stand up with us and protect our little kids. It's insane to send 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 all the way up through 11-year-olds that don't have a choice about vaccine. To sit in a classroom where people can spread a deadly disease and not even know they're sick 
and not even know that in three days they're going to be sick, but they're spreading it today because they that's the way it works, this disease. just makes me furious that we're in this position. If I were a parent of a young child, I don't know what I would do, but I don't think we should put our parents in that position. And if there's any way between now and the beginning of school that we can get this changed, I hope we can because it's just not okay for kids to commit murder by coming to school without a mask. And when it comes down to it, it's possible. They will, ch- they will cause a death of another child because they come to school without a mask. That's not okay. I don't know what we can do about it, but I hope it's something. We've got to think hard and we've got to think fast. Thanks. Oklahoma's governor is Governor Kevin Stith, S-T-I-T-T. This school board member, in an open-to-the-public meeting, says Governor Stith isn't the way she likes to pronounce his name. Interesting. Was it wasn't that clever. Someone should help this woman with the literature review where she could look up for herself the number of peer-reviewed controlled studies of the effectiveness and efficacy of face masks in children under the age of 12 against COVID-19. <laughs> Hello, there aren't any. There have been some observational studies. For instance, schools in one district wore masks and in an adjacent district, they didn't. What they have found is there's no statistical difference between the groups as far as COVID infections. Listen, I I have faith in God, but for masks on children, I need data and studies. Masks aren't an article of faith. And while we're on disinformation, let's tackle the myth that the Delta variant is more infectious than measles. Well, Well, it isn't. Just another white lie meant to get your attention and strike fear into the troubled minds of all parents. Yes, the CDC just retracted this statement saying that they saw this claim in a New York Times article and believed the source was credible. So they ran with it and published it as a fact. Well, surprise! It's not a fact. And measles is happy because it remains far more infectious than the Delta variant. Now, I've collected scores of CDC misinformation or disinformation or just called them outright lies about COVID-19 over the months. But Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci, and Dr. Walensky have all promised us that they're telling us the truth about COVID-19. Our medical and scientific experts at CDC and the National Institute of Health will be out there in the public every day to answer questions and get the facts out. When they make a formal recommendation, it has to be based on data. When I became CDC director, I promised that I would lead with science to rebuild trust in our public health institutions and to keep people safe. Yes, and to keep people safe. And the CDC isn't alone with false data. More children are now hospitalized in Texas than ever before, yet Republican Governor Greg Abbott filed a petition yesterday to keep school officials in Dallas from exercising their freedom to institute new mask requirements. The Texas Tribune is the leading newspaper in Austin, Texas. Austin is 80% Democrat and a very woke city. On August 12th, the Texas Tribune overstated the number of children who have been hospitalized in Texas recently with COVID-19. Their story said over 5,800 children had been hospitalized during a seven-day period in August of this year, and they cited the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as their source. Well, surprise, that number, 5,800 correctly referred to children hospitalized with COVID-19 in Texas since the pandemic began. Yes, since the beginning of the pandemic, 
not since July 1st of this year. In actuality, 783 children were admitted to Texas hospitals with COVID-19 between July 1 and August 9 of this year. So instead of 820 children admitted to Texas hospitals each day with COVID-19, the real number is 19.5 children per day between July 1st and August 9th. Yeah, 820 a day versus 19 per day. This is a huge difference, especially if you're a parent concerned about COVID-19. But not to worry, Big Brother government is there at your doorstep making sure you don't hurt yourself or somebody else. Now let's see, uh, let's see those guns of yours and your ammunition. Now you don't need that gun. We are the government and we're here to protect you. And don't worry about the bad police because we've decimated police departments and they're so dispirited that they can't even get to the work before them, much less abuse any would-be criminals. And as for criminals, surely you understand that it costs too much to keep them locked up. So we're sure you'll agree that releasing them without cash bail is the right way to go. And if they should commit another crime while they're waiting for their trial date, well, we'll just arrest them again. After all, most of these folks are people of color and they've been wrongly discriminated against for 400 years. And now I think we all owe them a break. I'm, I'm sure you'll agree it's the right thing to do. So stop, 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 stop. If I don't stop here, we'll, we'll never get to the rest of the planned show. I mean, all the wailing and railing I just went through, well, well forget it if you can. I, I sort of got lost along the way. Uh, this is what I plan to say. So next, let's take a quick look once again at the promised stroll through the minefield of lies that continues to be the foundation of Joe Biden's administration. This first clip is Joe Biden addressing the issue of inflation, which the administration has continued to say is only a temporary condition. Now, on average, inflation is currently 5.4%. Of course, there are certain products that have taken a pretty steep increase, like gasoline, which in a lot of places is a buck up a gallon since Joe took office. Not surprisingly, President Biden's job approval on the economy continues to sink. In fact, it's underwater at 47% in the most recent August Fox survey of likely voters. Of course, we know Joe's not managing the economy. Joe's handlers and the Democrats in Congress are mishandling the economy. If Joe were managing the economy, surely he wouldn't be pumping so much money, so much printed money, so much expensive money, so much money we don't have, so much money we're stealing from our children and their children, so much money that Joe's socialist friends in the White House and Congress can cripple any idea of America ever having a reasonably sized government again, despite Joe's claim that inflation is not going up. The Biden administration is going to have to find ways to make the inflation numbers lie because they can't stop its rise with any of their spendthrift policies. Perhaps they'll get the CDC to help them with the fibbing to the American people. Here's Joe's first clip of the day, okay? <laughs> oh, and notice I've had to delete numerous pauses in Joe's audio clips. Joe tends to search the teleprompter for his place as to where he got lost. He often gets lost, and it can take him up to 10 to 15 seconds until he reestablishes where he left off. Now, given the Frankly Daniels show is only an hour, 
I've eliminated some of Joe's longer, transient ischemic cerebral attacks in order to move the clip along. Here's Joe. Today, I'm pleased to share more good news with the American people. The latest report on consumer price shows, prices show that we've expanded some easing, uh, we, excuse me, the expected easing we thought was going to come has increased, that we are, we've seen a good monthly report. Now I ask you, could you make any sense of what Joe said? Just imagine this clip with all the classic I lost my place pauses in it. Just imagine you're seeing Joe look confused, distressed, because he's lost his place on the teleprompter. Now does this inspire confidence? What do you think foreign leaders make of this display? You know, once Joe gets lost reading the teleprompter, everything else just becomes gibberish. Truly. I'd put up with a thousand uh, Trump tweets just to have Trump back in charge of our economy. We know that 18 or 19 Republican senators have to be the most gullible Republicans ever born to have signed on to this so-called Biden $1.2 trillion so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill. We're going to be finding financial landmines in this 2,700-page bill well into the next decade. This is another one of those Nancy uh, Pelosi fiascos where you have to pass the bill to know what's in it. Because the demand for labor is strong, largely because the Democrats' generous unemployment compensation, annual wages have increased by 4%. However, with inflation at 5.4%, we're still behind the curve and everything costs more. If the Biden administration and Democrats pass the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, and the $3.5 trillion reconciliation budget over the next six weeks, the trillions upon trillions of new dollars in spending are going to send inflation right through the Capitol Dome. This will make inflation the worst true financial insurrection our economy has seen since Jimmy Carter. Now, who's worried about inflation? Well, the August... Fox News poll reported that 86% of us are very concerned about inflation. The 14% who said they weren't concerned, well, they, they ran to count their money that they had secreted between their queen-size mattress and their box springs. Now, I don't think anybody uses box springs anymore. Uh, just saying. This second clip, J Joe explains if gas prices are going to go down, OPEC is going to have to pump more oil and thus drive the price of gasoline down. I want to make sure that nothing stands in the way of oil price declines leading to lower prices for consumers. We also made clear to OPEC that the production cuts made during the pandemic should be reversed as the global, economic, as the global economy recovers in order to lower prices for consumers. Now, I found this explanation totally bizarre. Under President Trump, America was energy independent. What President Biden just confirmed, which we already knew, America is again an energy-dependent nation. What an achievement. How does this help national security? Right? It, it, it doesn't. I'm waiting for someone to explain to me how Biden's policy to close down the XL pipeline and halt any more exploratory drilling on government lands is helping reverse his existential threat of climate change. None of this makes any sense. Does it make any sense to you? If our demand for fossil fuels continues to increase, 
which I expect it will because these new green technologies are quite a ways off, let's face it. We can now blame part of our carbon footprint on other nations like the OPEC countries. Is because Joe's not drilling any more oil. I mean, that must... Who knows what the rationale is? Listen to this third clip. We brought this economy back from a cold start. And there is going to be... Uh, there are going to be some ups and downs. We need to make this economy work better for working families in the long run. These challenges are with us long before the pandemic and before I took office. Here's just another remarkable statement. Joe's taking credit for resuscitating the American economy. Joe's claiming he brought back from a flat line and a cold start our economy. Talk about malarkey. Here's the facts. By January of 2021, before Uncle Joe walked into the White House, our unemployment was at 6.3%, down from a whopping 14.8% in April of 2020. Yes, President Trump was still president from April 20 right through January 21st of 2021. This lower 6.3% unemployment, this turnaround was directly related to the red states, yes, the Republican-controlled governorships and legislatures who decided to open their economies despite all of Dr. Fauci's wailing and gnashing of teeth. So Joe inherited a 6.3% cold start unemployment rate, and he's gotten it all the way down to 5.4%, with still nearly a million jobs open. But people aren't returning to work. Too many are still making too much on unemployment to think about going back to work to a paying job. In the majority of blue, Democrat-controlled states, generous federal unemployment bonuses will end in September. But it's going to be another 30 to 60 days before this is expected to have any influence on reemployment. Now, believe it or not, congressional Democrats are still trying to make these additional federal unemployment bonuses permanent. Why? Uh, because they believe or they hope COVID-19 is going to be with us forever. Now, I wonder... Does the government eventually send someone uh, to your home to conduct an annual performance assessment on how well you did nothing to contribute to the economy other than to spend other taxpayers' money? And I'm sure the Biden administration will need to create a, another federal agency to do that. We need bigger government. In closing this chapter on Joe's economics, he certainly has some other things to be concerned about. His poll numbers on immigration, crime, and the coronavirus are all taking hits. Only 54% approve of his handling of the coronavirus, which is down from the mid-60s. Only 39% approve of his performance on crime, because it doesn't seem that everyone is buying his sales pitch that guns are shooting people and crime hasn't gone up. And now his immigration policy approval's way down to 35%, and I'm surprised it's that high. Well, speaking about highs, I think it's high time for a break. The good stuff is all in the second 30 minutes, so you all come back now. I'll see you momentarily. I'll be here. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. 
but most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. As we celebrate our five-year anniversary, America Out Loud has expanded its mission through a newly designed website with a host of new contributors, all carrying a vibrant message of hope and survival for this country we love. AmericaOutloud.com. Together, we'll secure the future for generations to come. Greetings and hallucinations, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniel Show. We're just finishing up a few numbers from a recent Fox survey of likely voters. So here's the additional numbers from this survey about what Americans are concerned about. 83% of Americans say they're very concerned about political divisions. 81% are concerned about violent crime in America. 78% are concerned about health care. 73% are concerned about China's growing power. 70% concerned about the federal deficit. That number should be going up. 69% are concerned about opioid addiction. When you see numbers this high, you know they have to include both independents and Democrat opinions. If Republicans can't find a way to take the House and the Senate back with these performance numbers, we need to create a whole new conservative party. One final note before leaving the whole Joe Biden situation. Just Thursday of this week, Biden's Pentagon announced it was sending a full combat airborne brigade, 3,500 troops to Afghanistan, to begin the evacuation of embassy personnel. And I've just heard that the embassy is to be closed. I tend to think this is happening a whole lot sooner than Joe Biden expected. An additional 4,000 reservists, 4,000 reservists are being sent to Kuwait, and an additional 3,000 troops are being sent to Qatar. Additionally, Canada and Great Britain are sending troops into Afghanistan to begin a staff drawdown of their embassies. In the meantime, Joe Biden is asking the Taliban not to hurt any American embassy workers. What an interesting approach. David Gates, a former secretary of the Pentagon, said in his book published nearly a decade ago, that Joe Biden has been wrong on every single foreign policy of the United States throughout his entire political career. Here's an audio clip of Joe Biden announcing on July 8th of this year his decision to withdraw all American troops out of Afghanistan ASAP. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No. 
It is not because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Some, some Vietnamese veterans see echoes of their experience in this withdrawal in Afghanistan. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling? With, None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable. To finish up on Afghanistan, here's a clip of Joey Jones, the former Marine veteran who served in Afghanistan. Joey's a frequent guest on Fox News, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. He lost both of his legs in Afghanistan. He was a former bomb technician, and he's quite articulate on this particular subject. What just makes me so mad about this is we have a man in the White House that couldn't predict this, that told us just a week ago nothing like this would happen. We have a man in the White House, we have leaders of our country that could not see this happening. The entire country pretty much falling in a matter of weeks. That was not something they could see coming. And those are the people that are going to keep us safe, that are in charge of our borders, that are in charge of a virus that's spreading across the country, the people that couldn't see this happening. Or did they know and they just wanted to lie to us because Biden knew he would be the president that lost Afghanistan and he would rather do it before the midterms than after. Yes, we have a mess on our hands and Joe Biden is to blame. Thank you for your service, Joey Jones. Thank you for your service. Well, I'd like to spend the rest of today's show talking about the state of public education in our beloved country. Importantly, I wish to address the woke culture's use of school boards to do their woke bidding. Public school boards are on the full court press to devastate educational standards and replace them with increasing racial divisiveness, transgender ideology, revisionist history, and more woke nonsense like racial and social equity. And of course, critical race theory most certainly has a role in all of this. So just so we're on the right page, or should I say on the same page, Equality seeks to protect individual rights of access, regardless of race, nationality, religion, sex, or physical health. Every American has an equal opportunity to succeed or fail at anything they put their mind to. We all have an equal opportunity, but we are not guaranteed, under our Constitution, to equal outcomes. Now, for some folks, equity means fairness and that they'd like to see that whatever the outcomes are, that they were arrived at fairly. In other words, even though it appears everyone has an equal chance to succeed, did something happen along the way that guaranteed unequal outcomes, like perhaps discrimination? Of course, this is possible. We're humans, and humans do stupid self-serving things. This is why transparency is critical and important activities like opportunities to succeed in school, and when the school board is making rules for teachers, students, and parents to follow. The problem with critical race theory is that it starts with the assumption that if you're a black person, 
you've never been given an equal opportunity. And if by mistake you ended up with one along the way, a white person stepped in and crushed it before there was any chance of equal outcomes. But instead of assuming the game of life is fixed against you or for you, let's assume the game is fair. For instance, if one person is rich and the other person's poor, equality does not mean that you take from the rich and give to the poor so that they're both equal. Nor does it mean that it's the government's job to make both of these players equal at the start of life or anywhere along life's path. But the government does have an important role to play. If the rich person does something along the way to ensure that the poor person, the person of color, or women are discriminated against, they can sue in federal court. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the case law since then is a very powerful mechanism to out this type of evil behavior. Now, please notice that I'm using wealth for simplifying my argument, the rich and the poor. But these points work with all aspects where there are haves and have-nots. Radical progressive socialists who espouse social equity outcomes believe regardless of the effort someone puts into an endeavor or the talent they bring to the same endeavor, all that matters is that outcomes are equalized across social and racial groups. This is what socialists mean when they talk about equity, and it's how they confuse words like equality and equity when they apply them to any given circumstance. So that's the theory, but the question comes in operationalizing it. How does one achieve equal outcomes or equity across social and racial groups? Well, obviously, someone or some institution like the federal government takes from the rich and gives to the poor until their bank accounts equal out. We already practice a form of this in our so-called progressive income tax laws. Theoretically, the rich pay more taxes than the poor, generally speaking. But for social equity, progressives start with a series of what I call Robin Hood assumptions that they either imply or say out loud. First, the rich didn't really earn their riches. They either inherited it through generational wealth or they exploited others. In critical race parlance, the rich are oppressors and their white supremacy and white privilege was used to obtain, maintain, and grow their wealth. Second, the poor are poor through no fault of their own and despite their own efforts to correct their impoverished circumstances, the poor are always victims. The poor are the oppressed and they're oppressed by the white dominant race. So in order to reach wealth equity, our American Marxists feel strongly that government, the federal government, should take from the rich and give to the poor until they've both reached equity. But here comes the rub. CRT takes things a step further. When all else is equal, the person of color or the woman should always be given the preference. Thus, if there's only one position to fill and all candidates appear equally qualified, then according to CRT, the white person is dealt out. Furthermore, CRT goes on to say that even when all candidates aren't equal and the white candidate may be more qualified, the person of color or the woman should be given the position. Why, you ask? Well, as compensation for historical discrimination. 
In a very real sense, this is a form of reparation which should be illegal. Unquestionably, the more qualified white person says, I worked my butt off to achieve my credentials, while the less qualified person hasn't anywhere near my education, training, or experience, so I don't understand. I don't understand why these lesser qualified candidates, and when I say lesser qualified, I mean qualified by a societal established and standardized set of employment metrics. So why aren't I the preferred employee? Well, this person is told two things. First, the lesser qualified candidate is necessary for skin color diversity within our workforce. Secondly, people of color and women have historically been discriminated against in better paying employment positions. Any arguments against this really don't matter to the radical Marxist progressives who currently call themselves Democrats. They have a whole different twisted view of what's fair, and they take this same twisted view of equity into rearranging our systems and outcomes of public education. And trust me, the whole equity-equality conundrum is ridiculously convoluted. And this is exactly the reason that radical progressive wordsmiths manipulate scenarios that always put you in sympathy with the person who appears to be wronged by some often imagined disadvantage beyond their control. Now, of course, you have to excuse the way the social equity warriors uh, go about this sometimes, for instance, like Black Lives Matter. Now, they play the equity and social justice game just a little bit differently. In their case, one of the founders took millions of dollars from the organization and bought multiple high-priced homes, and then they resigned from Black Lives Matter. Uh, interesting. Somewhere along the line, this BLM individual forgot about that Marxist concept of equity and equal outcomes. Well, that was long-winded, and I imagine by now you're scratching your head trying to figure out if I'm just babbling on or whether I really have a point. Uh, trust me, I do. Last week I talked about my concern over what and how numerous woke progressive public school boards are doing to further deteriorate and corrupt our public school educational standards. Moreover, I'm growingly concerned over the hubris these boards brandish and the contemptible disrespect they openly display for their constituents who happen to be the parents of the students they're responsible to teach reading, writing, mathematics, civics, and literature, and nothing more like CRT or gender ideology or God, godlessness or activist politics. Nevertheless, once the COVID-19 pandemic set in, progressive school boards decided to go full-tilt woke and they, like their Democrat Party colleagues, took unfair advantage of COVID circumstances to rule with a heavy hand. So like so many other movements this last 18 months, woke school boards started with the assumption of systemic racism. Systemic racism says that every person of color is the poor person in my example, and white people are the rich people. White students and their white parents have been the white privileged preferred groups in our school district. These are the people woke progressive school boards believe they need to take down a peg or two. So while schools went online, parents at first didn't see what their woke school boards and administrators were up to. Parents were just too busy learning how to Zoom, teach class at home, and learn how to remain employed uh, working remotely. During these 18 months, 
evil was certainly afoot. Take, for instance, the Loudoun County, Virginia School Board. You've likely heard and seen a lot about the machinations of this progressive school board and the parental response to the school board's unilateral manipulation of curricula, teacher training, and school rules. The problem this devious school board didn't anticipate, and they should have, was that Loudoun County parents are not your usual group of everyday laid-back parents. Allow me to share with you a few demographics of the county. First and foremost, Forbes has labeled Loudoun County the richest county in America. Loudoun County's population is 414,000. 67% are white, 8% are black, 20% are Asian, 13% are Hispanic. Households with a computer, 97%. Households with broadband, 94%. Median household income, 143,000. Percent of people over 25 years of age with at least a bachelor's degree, 63%. As for politics, in the last presidential election, Loudoun County remained overwhelmingly Democratic, 61.5% to 36.5%. Loudoun County voted Democrat in four of the most recent presidential elections. Now, the state of Virginia voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump, 54 to 44 but Loudoun County was a whole degree uh, above that in terms of their Democratic loyalty. Enter the runaway slave game in Loudoun County schools. What follows is from a June 25th article of this year in the National Review. When the 3rd, 4th, and 5th graders at Madison's Trust Elementary School in Loudoun County showed up at a gym class in early February 2019, they were informed that they would be playing a game. Now, notice this is very early in the COVID-19 pandemic, so everybody's still in school. As part of the game, they would work in groups to advance through an obstacle course. The obstacle course represented the Underground Railroad. According to a school district spokesperson, the students weren't designated as slaves or slave owners. Nonetheless, the exercise became known locally and through national media as the runaway slave game. The local Association for the Advancement of Colored People was lit up with complaints. The school's principal wrote a letter to the community apologizing for the culturally insensitive game. It turns out the game was based on a 30-year-old Underground Railroad simulation promoted by anti-racist training groups. But as often the case, this nuance between racism and anti-racism was difficult to discern and the damage was done. This national embarrassment was further proof to the woke progressive district leaders that Loudoun County schools had a racism problem. Parents noted that this game was labeled as a collaborative effort with the school. Supposedly, the principal knew, the whole staff knew, according to Ian Pryor, a parent of two young children in Loudoun County, who's helped lead the pushback against the school board. The principal tweeted on the first day how great this game was. Everybody was on board until the complaints. Then everybody clammed up. Parents said the school board and administration threw the teachers under the bus. Now, Ian Pryor is a former Deputy Affairs Director at the U.S. Department of Justice, who helped found the local group Fight for Schools. You've likely seen him over the four years of the Trump administration, because he's been on Fox numerous times. 
Mr. Pryor said that under the current conflicts involving the Loudoun County School Board, it's important to understand the board's response to the runaway slave game, because that's where all this woke racist stuff began. In April of 2019, two months after the controversial game, the district contracted with the Equity Collaborative, a California-based consulting firm that helps schools create educational equity. In other words, they're a CRT boot camp consulting group that parachutes into a district, conducts a systemic equity assessment that examines the district's cultural metrics related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and, of course, race. They produce a self-promoting report that says, you need to hire us to do CRT training, and we can help you with reshaping your curriculum across all grade levels. Additionally, the firm also offers courses on how to apply CRT, quote, as a form of practice for interrupting systemic racism and creating more equitable learning environments. That sounds wonderful. Equity Collaborative found that there was a low level of racial consciousness and racial illiteracy in this particular district, and that the district's discipline policies disproportionately have a negative impact on students of color. Go figure. And it reported many English learners, black and African-American, Latinx and Muslim students, have experienced a string of racial insults, slurs, or racially motivated violent actions. Now, parent uh, Ian Pryor was skeptical about this. He said the focus groups excluded white and Asian students and parents, and the Equity Collaborative's report was filled with anonymous anecdotes and unsubstantiated allegations. He said there's no methodology. They don't put any data in there, he said. It's impossible to know what questions were asked. Were they leading questions? Were they prepared questions? And there's no verification of any of these accusations. It's just basically accusations. Pryor also took issue with a proposed policy that would prohibit teachers and staff talking negatively about the district's new equity commitment, even outside of the school. He said that's a First Amendment problem. Last summer, Pryor made a Freedom of Information Act request for the district's bills from the Equity Collaborative. As it turns out, the district spent more than $422,000 for the firm's services. Pryor said that while it may sound nice, equity, but the goal of the school board and its consultants is really an effort to achieve equal results for racial groups forced through policy mechanisms. Now, I know time is running short in this program, and I promise to take up this subject, the Loudoun County subject, again next week. But I want to play several clips of the parents' comments before the school board this this given week. The board held a public meeting in June that became, as you probably know, quite fiery. The board unanimously shut down public comments after only 51 of the roughly 250 scheduled speakers had a turn at the podium. Parents refused to leave. Parents disagreed with being cut off in mid-sentence by a strict time limit. The board was just going through the motions of allowing public comment. But when you watch the videos, the board's contempt for the speakers was glaringly obvious. They rolled their eyes, scrolled through their phone messages, and even at times appeared as though they were using their smartphones to videotape various speakers, possibly to intimidate them. It's also obvious these speakers aren't subject to this form of intimidation. 
the acrimony came to a head Tuesday when a meeting over the district's transgender policy turned fiery. Importantly, Loudoun County Public Schools have been closed for in-person learning for more than 570 days, and parents want to know if the board is going to threaten to shut down schools again because of the Delta variant. They also want to know what about the consulting firm? What did they do to the civics curriculum? The boards continued to stonewall parents on this issue, stating there's no CRT in the district's curriculum. However, several parents got their hands on the training manuals used by Equity uh, Collaborative, and parents aren't happy campers after reading these. Parents informed a non-for-profit association called Fight for Schools, and this organization has collected enough signatures on six petitions to recall six board members. So this is a hot topic. So without any more delay, let's listen to some parents. Why has public school become so mired in extremist politics and a permissive culture that seems to celebrate the latest popular fads like gender fluidity? Their job is to teach our kids math, science, biology, literature, and that's it, not ideology. And we oppose your efforts to impose critical race theory, an overtly racist doctrine that teaches our children to judge and categorize others based solely on the color of their skin. As one example, why on earth would you pull accelerated math at the middle school level? You are completely failing our vulnerable communities, telling them they aren't good enough uh, to succeed. So instead, you plan to trap them in mediocrity. Why are you willing to sacrifice our children on the altar of the Cultural Revolution? Is it for popularity, for money, to be on the right side of history? I pulled my child out of Loudoun County Public School because of the, the behavior of the school board members' actions, bullying, lying, and their constant division agenda, CRT. Then you have the nerves to play victim when you get caught. This is everything I taught my child not to be. What happened to keeping religion, politics, and sexuality out of school? You excluded my child and my parenting morals. One by one, we will oust you out. My name is Kay Greenwell. Where did all the federal COVID money go? In May, you appropriated $11 million from the American Rescue Plan. In June, you received money from the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Funds, or ESSER, $2.5 million for unfinished learning and about $4 million for IDEA special ed funding. Where is all this money going, and how is it helping the kids with lost learning and mental health problems stemming from distance learning? You've spent millions on polarizing critical race theory training that demeans our teachers and staff. You all have lost track of your core mission, which is providing a top-notch education for our children. And that is why you will be recalled, starting with your ringleader, Beth Bartz. And soon, decency, professionalism, competence, and a focus on meritocracy will be restored to us, the families and taxpayers of Loudoun County. Hello, my name is Cheryl Onderchain, and I live in the Broad Run District. As a Loudoun parent to two high school students, as well as a taxpayer, I am absolutely disgusted by the school board and administration. You failed on so many levels over the last 17 months that it's actually hard for me to even prioritize my grievances here with you today in this speech. My name is Abby Platt, and I'm the parent of three biracial children, one of which is a teenage girl who is an athlete that may be sidelined and pushed out of her sport by um, other children who choose to identify as something different than she is biologically. That troubles me a great deal. 
My name is Gary Higgins. My wife and I live in the Catoctin District. We have three daughters educated in Loudoun County and currently four grandsons in the county. I'm here to speak specifically against policy 8040. There are two chromosomes that determine a person's gender or sex, the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. If you have two X chromosomes, you're a female. If you have an X and a Y chromosome, you're a male. In fact, if I feel a certain way, that doesn't determine what or who I am. Those three daughters of mine, they were all athletes. And men participating in women's sports is absurd. It is unfair. It'll undo what's been done over the years with Title IX, and it will eventually do away with women's competitive sports. Well, our time has come to an end. There's so much more to come next week. So much more to say. Lord willing, I'm going to return. I regret I only have one life to give to my fellow conservatives, and I regret I had only one hour to give to this topic. I hope you found today's update informative. Please follow me on Twitter. I do follow back. You can find me at DFB Harvard on Twitter, at DFB Harvard. I can't possibly thank you enough. You were marvelous and so patient with me again today. Let's do talk therapy again next week. Same place, same time. Until then, cheers and blessings. Thank you.